little series on Thanksgiving. Anybody remember that? And we just finished it, just in case you didn't know that, okay? We had like 30 days of Thanksgiving where we said this, thanks plus giving equals Thanksgiving. And we tried to live that out well as we went through the month of November. So thank you. Let's go ahead and continue to do that, right? If you want to keep writing down in the morning time that request and or that thanks and in the evening time or the night time that thanks. Uh, I do have to say this, I am still struggling to give thanks before my meals. Okay? I'm still struggling with it. I'm getting better, you know, maybe out of, let's see, how many? Seven days, three meals, which I never eat three meals a day anyway. So let's say there's 14 meals. I think I got about four of them this week. And that's better than before, so that's pretty good, right? And so sometimes even as I'm praying in the morning time, I just say, Lord, bless all the meals I'm going to have today. Okay? Just take care of it right now. It's the best I can do because I just cannot remember to pray before my meal. Well, now if I'm eating with you, I would do that, of course. But, but if I sit down, man, I'm still struggling, so I'm getting better at it. So as Jamie mentioned, 31 days of kindness is what we're working on this, this month. And I got this idea um, last year. It was in the newspaper. And uh, a family in, I don't know, the Northeast, uh, for years have been doing, they just did 25 days of kindness. I thought we could just do the whole month. And, of course, I just introduced it so you're a couple days behind. But just to say, every day, every day, I'm going to intentionally do an act of kindness to someone to show them the love of God and also to bring glory to God. You join me? Will you join me on this? Working on it? Three people said yes. Good. All right. We'll get a good start. Next week we'll get six, right? I mean, this is what kindness is. This is what Christmas is about, right? Christ was about God's kindness to us. As we said many years ago in our, our theme for the year, love them like Jesus to lead them to Jesus. Love them like Jesus to lead them to Jesus. Because that's how they're going to know what God has done for us. So work on it. Join me in it. As you're reading through the book, you've got the book there. You get it? Read through that, it'll remind you every day just that what is an act of kindness that I can do, that I can share with somebody. And one of those ways might just be to take that invite card that's right near you, give it to somebody. That would be an act of kindness. That would be a way to, to love somebody like Jesus, to invite them to come to our services and be a part and hear the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. So uh, looking forward to that. If you've got the books there, you can go back and get one. One for family, please. I did read this a while back. doesn't have anything to do with this book, but I did read this little funny little thing. It said this, that a man said um, that I read, a, I saw a book called How to Solve 50% of Your Problems. And so I ordered two. <laughs> oh, I thought that was so good. Yeah, we know how that goes. All right, so each week I'm going to pick one of the things that you would read, and I'm going to use that as a springboard for my sermon. And I'll add way more than that. I might even use some of the things that are in there, but I'm going to use that as a springboard to where I'm going to go even today. So last week we talked about preparing our hearts for Christmas, and we sang, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and we know that He has come for us. And oh, how I need you. Oh, how I need you. Today we're going to look in number two, chapter number two in the book. It says, why would he come? 
Why would Jesus come to this earth? Well, as we talked about in the Advent candle, to give us hope, to fulfill what he's done for us, that confident assurance that God's going to fulfill his promises. And if he did it in the Christmas and the incarnation, he's going to continue to do it. Amen? We're so thankful for that. First thought is this. Jesus did not come to impress us. I got an article from Faith Gateway about four or five uh, weeks ago, and I said, that's really good for Christmas. Uh, the article's by Bear, is it Gorillas? The guy that goes out into the world, you know, in Alaska and does all those crazy things. He has some quotes in there. He said, Madonna, she said in 1985, she said this, Jesus Christ was like a movie star, my favorite idol of all. Now, I'm not saying we should follow these people, but I'm just saying that's what she said. Novelist H.G. Wells, who wrote many years ago, says, I'm a historian, I'm not a believer, but this penniless preacher from Galilee is irresistibly the center of history. Very definitely. And then Bear himself says this, There's never been a human like Jesus. He towers above us all in goodness and in courage and in impact and influence. But he did not come to impress us. Isaiah wrote many, many years ago, more than 700 years ago before Jesus and the Incarnation. And he says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, or, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised, and he was rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As of one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed. 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah writes this. And he says, basically, he's not going to come to impress us. He's not going to be this good-looking guy, which, you know, as I was looking through pictures to find of Jesus, most of them show kind of a good-looking guy. He didn't come to impress us in numerous different ways. He came for a very specific purpose. Jesus did not come to be a great teacher. Oh, he was a good teacher. He was a very, very good teacher. He's a very creative teacher. He was a, a master teacher. He was so good at using the illustrations of the day and the things that were important in the day to be able to draw out his points and to help us understand and to understand what he was trying to communicate. Yes, he was really, really good at that. And as he taught, as he came in his incarnation, as he taught, People were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed at his teaching when he was 12 years old. In Luke chapter 2, it says this. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished and amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw them, they were astonished. At 12 years old, he could go into the temple. God's representative, God himself, 
sharing with them the Old Testament and how he knew the Old Testament. And as they heard him, they were amazed at his teaching, and even his parents were astonished at his teaching. That was when he was 12. But in his early 30s, the same thing was happening in regard to his teaching. It says in Mark chapter 11, And he was teaching them, and he was saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was what? Astonished at his teaching. When he was 12, they were astonished at what he knew and what he understood. And then at 30, as he reveals himself in his public ministry, he takes off with that. They all hear him, and they're astonished. They're amazed at how his teaching is with authority. Author C.S. Lewis, many years observed back, many years back observed in his classic book, Mere Christianity. He said this, he said, You might say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. In other words, he's good as a good moral teacher, but no, he's not really God. A good teacher, but not really God. C.S. Lewis goes on to say this. That's one thing we must not say. A man who's merely a man and said this sort of things, Jesus said, would, be a, would not be a great moral teacher. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open. Because that's not why he came. Oh, he was a great teacher. But that's not why he came. He didn't come to impress us as a great teacher. Thirdly, he didn't come to be a great miracle worker. He performed miracles. I did a little Google search, asked the question, how many miracles did Jesus do? Most commentators come up with recorded in Scripture 37 miracles could be more than that, but that's kind of the number that they settle on. They did, but what we have recorded are 37 miracles of Jesus in the gospel. Yes, Jesus came in the power of the Spirit, and it was foretold that he would perform miracles, according to Luke 4, quoting Isaiah, when he said this, the Spirit of the Lord, as he got up in the, the synagogue, and as he took the scroll and he unrolled it, and he presented to them, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he goes on in a few verses later as Jesus puts the scroll back in there, and he says, Today in your hearing, this scripture has been fulfilled. I am the one fulfilling what Isaiah said many years ago. I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah that was proclaimed and was prophesied right before you today. You see me. I am the one. Now, I think we can safely say that Jesus did more than 37 miracles while he was on the earth. That's just the number that's recorded in the Gospels. But he had a greater purpose because he didn't come to impress us 
as a miracle man. That wasn't why he came. His purpose was that he would lead us and tell us that he's the son of God and that he can give us abundant life and eternal life and new life and spiritual life, even as Greg gave us last week in his sermon. I'm talking about this is why God has come for us. This is why Christ has come for us, to give us his life. Now think about it. The disciple John, Jesus, one of best, one of Jesus' best friends. As he writes his gospel, he gives that thesis statement at the end of chapter 20. Chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Where he said, now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. So 37, okay, in the gospel of John, there are seven miracles, seven signs that are there. He puts that together very specifically to be able to do that. Matter of fact, there's an eighth one, it's the resurrection. They usually don't include that one. They usually say the miracles that Jesus did, but Jesus did another miracle through the power of the Father to raise from the dead, right? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Yes, he is. But he goes on to say that. He says, Jesus did many other, many other miracles or signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are given to you. These are written down. I have written these down so that you may, might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the thesis statement at the end of John to be able to understand why John put this gospel together. And I think, as we said, there's 37 recorded miracles, but John says there were a whole bunch more miracles that are just not written down here for us. But in the midst of all that, Jesus did not come to impress us that he would be a great miracle worker. Now, Max Lucado, it's maybe you read in the second chapter, he kind of puts together what I have termed and kind of taken from his title, In the Manger, mind the message in the manger. What is the message that Jesus communicates to us as he comes to be a part of us life? First is this. He says this. Lucado says this. Jesus came to be with the ones he loved. And when that statement, I read that statement, it popped out. Jesus came to love and to be with the ones that he loved. I love this picture. I was going yesterday and putting my outline together, learning an outline and the slides together. I came across that one. That is perfect. Don't you think? You ever seen that picture before? A picture like that? I haven't. I mean, I've got laughing Jesus in my office in the study. But this, this, is, this is hidden. This is Jesus. Yeah, you know, he delivered some hard messages. He had some times where he kind of put it to us.
it says in John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The picture in that word dwelt is a picture of pitching a tent. When we pitch a tent, we don't make that our home. That's only a temporary home. It's a picture of the tabernacle. When they traveled through the wilderness, it wasn't permanent. When the cloud moved, the pillar of fire moved, they packed that baby up, they got on the road again, and then when they stopped and the pillar of cloud stopped, the pillar of fire stopped, they put it up again. You see, they pitched the tent. And that's what it was for him. I think you could put it this way. When Jesus came, he was more like a renter than an owner of a home. It really wasn't his home. He just moved into the neighborhood for a time. Our neighborhood. I heard the song, Chris Rice song this morning, one of my favorite Christmas songs. Welcome to our world. Look that one up. Welcome. chapter 1, the Christmas story, the Christmas event, is the angels speaking to Joseph. It's the situation that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. The prophet is speaking of Isaiah 7.14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name For a short time, pitching his tent with us. But he came and he moved into our neighborhood, into into our world, as he came from heaven in the incarnation. As I'm thinking about that, I was thinking the theme of being with the ones that he loved was really important to his disciple and his friend John. And the books that he wrote and the letters that he wrote helped me out. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. John centers in on that. as Jesus is talking with Nicodemus in that third chapter. That God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, he sent his only Son. And we know that Jesus came willingly too to be able to be with us, to live in our world. But I don't know if you know 1 John 3.16, kind of tied together with John 3.16, 1 John in his letter, by this we know love. That same thing, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay down our life. Good tie together there. John in his gospel, John in his letter. That this is love. That he laid down his life for us, as John looks back. And he goes on in 1 John, he continues on in chapter 4, verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifest to us. In this the love of God was demonstrated to us. In this the love of God was shown to us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. John got it. This disciple that was with Jesus, he got it. He understood the love of God, that that Jesus came to to love on those that he loved, to be with those whom he loved. 
But Jesus also came to serve the ones that he loved. Not just to love the ones, but he came to serve the ones that he loved. Mark 10, 45, you know this one. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To pay the price, the sin price that we owed him because of our sin. And he came and he paid that price. He bought us out of the slave market of sin so that we could be his child, be his children, and be joint heirs with him, as Romans 8 talks about. Wow! That's what he did for us. He didn't come to be served himself. He came to serve. And, of course, the greatest example of that is in John chapter 13. When Jesus took the towel in the basin of water, washed the disciples' feet. So this is how you should share and be a part of each other's lives. This is why, this is, this is why I've come. Yes, I'm going to die on the cross for you, but I'm setting this up for you. This is a picture. This is how you should live. Because I am showing you, this is why I've come. I have come to serve you. Not to be served. Not to get your glory. Not to get all your respect. Not to impress you. I'll impress you. Yeah, I'll impress you. I'll get down on my knee and I'll wash your feet. Yeah, that's impressive. That's impressive. See, Jesus came to, to love on those that, that he loved. And he came to serve those whom he cared for and part of their lives. He wanted to show them this is how to live with kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness. ultimate purpose. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and, and that by believing you might have life in his name. John gets it. He understands why Jesus came. Not to impress us, not to be a great teacher, not to do and be a miracle man. No, he came ultimately what? To save mankind. To show them that he is the Savior. Just thinking through as he's putting things together. Mary understood that. As it's announced to her that you will bear the Christ child. You will conceive and bear his son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. You'll call him Emmanuel because God is with us. But she understood that if she gave her Magnificat. And she gave glory to God in this announcement that she's with Elizabeth, her cousin. And they share together these miracle pregnancies that are taking place. She says these words as she begins that, that process of saying, yes, to Jesus. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She understood it. She understood that she, a sinful person, needed a Savior. And that she was the one bearing that Savior. And what did she say to that call to her life? Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes. May it be to me as your king and your Redeemer. May it be to me as a, as a servant that I'm bearing the Christ child. Wow. She understood that he was the Savior. The angel of the Lord to Joseph 
as he's trying to wrestle through this. What do I do with this? She's pregnant. We're not married. This is trouble. This is difficult. This is going to be difficult. And then the angel comes to him in a dream in, in Matthew chapter 1. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son. And you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This message, this ultimate message, this is why Jesus came, to save people from their sin. And it's communicated. Mary understands it. Now Joseph understands what's taking place. And then in Christ's birth, the angel, as he appears, and he shares together, the heavenly glory is all over. And in Luke chapter 2, as he's speaking to the shepherds, fear not. What part of fear not do you not understand, right? <laughs> fear not. Don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You'll be reading that through this month. You'll be reading that on Christmas Eve. You'll be reading that on Christmas Day with your family. You'll be going back through that. Shares with them. The angel says, communicates the same thing that's been communicated to Mary, the same thing that's been communicated to Joseph. Don't fear. This is difficult. This is not going to be easy. But I'm giving you great news, good news of great joy. I'm giving you the gospel that in the city of David today, a Savior has been born, and it is Christ the Lord. Then there's Simeon. Remember Simeon, Luke chapter 2. Simeon's been waiting for the appearance of the Messiah, waiting all these years. And as they bring Jesus, a few weeks after his birth, dedicate him, Simeon recognizes this is the Messiah. The Spirit tells him this is the Messiah who's coming in. And he takes that baby, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. He takes that little baby in his arms. And he says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes, for my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen yourself right here. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior. This is the one that's providing salvation for us. You prepared him in the presence of all people, a light to the Gentiles, and for the glory to your people, Israel. Wow. Oh, we could have been there to see that. How incredible that would have been. And then years later, Jesus clarifies his purpose. He clarifies his purpose to Zacchaeus, that wee little man that's in the tree. I come into your house today. He says to him, For the Son of Man, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus knew what his purpose was. And he tells Zacchaeus, this is my purpose. I'm clarifying my purpose so you'll know. I'm not here to impress you. I'm not here to be a great teacher. I'm not here to be a miracle man. I have come as the Savior to save you and to show you the way to the Father. Later on, as Jesus is with his disciples, last moments he's with them in the upper room. This is again he foretold this fulfilling that prophecy. It's been given all these ways. Mary knew it. Joseph knew it. 
it's communicated to him, communicated to the shepherds, he clarifies it, all that. He says this in John chapter 15, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than one would lay down their life. He's telling him, this is going to happen. And it's going to happen within about 24 hours. And this is why I've come, to lay down my life, because I love you. And I, I'm concerned for you, and I want you to have a relationship with the Father. I'm the Savior. I'm making that possible. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You come to the Father through me. And then Paul reminds us, as he writes, of God's love for us and the saving work. But God demonstrates his love toward us. He shows his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's so clear. It's so clear what Jesus did and why he came. Why would he come? Not to impress us, not to be a great teacher, not to be a miracle man. Important things, yes, but to show us that he's the son of God and that he's come to save us. You've probably noticed as I've gone through these that I haven't mentioned anything about Jesus coming to impress us and be remembered as a great teacher, a miracle worker, because these things are never mentioned. They're not mentioned by the prophets. They're not mentioned by Jesus himself. They're not mentioned by those who write the letters, the epistles. But what is mentioned time and time again, as I've shown you, is that he came to love us, to serve us, and to save us. That's why he came. That's why he's the one. You see, we, we can't save people but we can show them the Savior through our 31 days of kindness. To love them like Jesus, to lead them to Jesus. So it might be wise for us this Christmas season to think and to give them and practice this. I have it up on the screen, but you know it. Jesus. Nothing more. Nothing less. Jesus, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. That's what says give people the 31 days of kindness. Give them Jesus. He's been illustrated as we've seen and we've used this before. It's out on the table. They put it out on the table for our Christmas bucket list. Be present with people. The time we have with them, be present with people. Give them your attention. Pay attention. Pay attention. Let them know that you're there for them. Wrap someone in a hug. There's a lot to people to people. Send them. You can donate food. You can make memories with people in here. Let's be the light. The light of Christ. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. Jesus in his love came, gave his life on the cross, that we might believe in him as the Son of God, and we might believe in him for eternal life. 
do that by confessing our faith. We see it. Confess our faith in Him. We, we choose Him. We make a commitment to Him. We invite Him to be a part of our life. And He's never done that. Do that for Him today. Just say, Jesus, thank you for your love. Just come. Let me be saved. I need to be saved from my sin. And I believe that you're the Son of God. Oh, I don't understand everything theological about that, but I believe that you are. I believe that's why you came. And I choose you. I say yes to you. I want you to be a part of my life. I want you to demonstrate you care for me. And I want you to forgive my sins. And I want you to change me. If you made that decision today, I encourage you to let us know. Use that communication card now. Check that box. I made a first time commitment to Christ. Let us know what God's doing. And with all that, we have this time to be able to celebrate what God has done for us in the Lord's Supper. We we celebrate that He loved us. We celebrate that He served us. We celebrate that He saved us because this is for those that know Jesus as their Savior. Have a relationship with Him. So I'd encourage you to get up right now and come and to get the elements that are before you and then come and sit back down if you would. If somebody's around you that needs help, I encourage you to ask them if we could go and if you could go and get the elements for them. I know they would appreciate that.
Holy Spirit.